0: Welcome to the Rafiki Foundation podcast. Did you know that there was a classical Christian college in the 19th century in West Africa? I didn't until a couple of months ago. And I read a book called The Athens of West Africa by Daniel J. Piraka Jr. Written, uh, published in 2013 by Rutledge. Anyway, actually there was a classical Christian college called Fora Bay College in Sierra Leone in the 19th century. And it has since become the University of Sierra Leone. But not only was there that one in Sierra Leone, there was one in Liberia, one in Ghana, one in Nigeria. So today's podcast is going to feature the Athens of West Africa, Fora Bay College in Sierra Leone, West Africa. If you're a history buff, you'll be interested in the geography and climate and the times that gave rise to the need for classical Christian education in West Africa. You'll be amazed at how classical this college really was and the fruit of that college. So, welcome to the Rafiki Foundation podcast. I'm Karen Elliott, and I'm your host, where we discuss all things classical and Christian, missional and African. The Rafiki Foundation, as you recall, is working in 10 African countries, where we are seeking to bring Bible study and the best education in the world, classical Christian education, to 10 countries in Africa, through 10 model classical Christian schools, one in each of these 10 countries. Rafiki has been serving in Africa since 1985, almost 40 years. And in the last 20 years, we have developed our own classical Christian curriculum and Rafiki Bible study. In fact, I want to mention to you that at a Rafiki school, everybody starts with Bible study as the first class of the day. For three-year-olds, for six-year-olds, 12-year-olds, high school students, and our teachers, and all of our staff, everybody starts with God's Word every day. And we go straight through every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And in 13 years, every student in a Rafiki school has been through every book of the Bible. But anyway, in the last 20 years, we've developed our own classical Christian curriculum and Bible study. And we've established these 10 classical Christian schools. We're also working with the African church. We work across 23 African denominations, and we're wanting to help them transform their schools, which, by the way, are Christian in name only. Schools, church schools in Africa, primarily have access to a government secular curriculum. So we, by God's grace, have developed our own classical Christian curriculum, which we own, and the Rafiki Bible study. And so we can provide it to the church schools at affordable prices um, and provide the training for it at our model classical Christian schools to help them transform their own schools. Our African church partners have maybe up to twenty to 30,000 schools. We have access to those schools. So we hope by God's grace to help transform maybe a thousand of those schools or more into classical and Christian education. And so my topic today is about the first and perhaps maybe the best Christian liberal arts college in West Africa in the 19th century. This issue is important to us, and I'm looking at the history of the Christian liberal arts in West Africa, because we've got to address this question. How does a classical Christian education which is centered on a Western civilization and has the Western canon, how in the world do you use that across cultures successfully? Uh, In other words, what does a Western Christian liberal arts education have to do with Africa? That's the question we continue to answer here in this podcast. I want to see how it worked historically. We're going to look at how it works here, how it's working today in future podcasts. So This is the thing that concerns us in Rafiki, since we are working to flood the continent of Africa with classical and Christian education. So in the next couple of series on this podcast, I'm going to go back in time and look at some history of classical education, classical Christian education in Africa. So, yes, did you know that there was an Athens of West Africa, an institution, a university that's been dubbed as the Athens of West Africa in the 19th century? Yes, there was, and it was called Fora Bay College. I'm going to talk a little bit about this college today. Fora Bay College was in Sierra Leone, in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Today, it is known as the University of Sierra Leone. But I want to focus on its early history, its curriculum, and how successful it was. It was developed, just a just real brief overview, it was developed and flourished in the 19th century and the 1800s from about 1820 on. So before examining the actual history and how it got started, let's understand the context first of its founding. One of the things that I found interesting in terms of its history and how it developed in Sierra Leone, because you have to ask your question, why Sierra Leone? Why not other parts of West Africa? There were two main reasons. One was the unique geography of Sierra Leone and the presence of malaria. The unique geography of Sierra Leone that lent well to its occupation and fostered then the need for indigenous education uh, was the fact that Sierra Leone has the third largest natural harbor in the world. And so it's basically the best harbor on the coast of West Africa. It was ideal, therefore, for European traders and ships to lodge along the coast of West Africa. Thus, from the 15th century on, the people of Sierra Leone were habituated to Europeans and the presence of Europeans. And this made a a very easy place for them to land uh, and establish institutions, uh, establish what they would want to do, which is civilization and trading and so forth. So the geography of Sierra Leone encouraged the European occupation. But in addition, the tropical climate in West Africa ensured indigenous education. Geography encouraged European occupation, but the tropical climate in West Africa ensured the need for indigenous education. You see, malaria was a terrible killer back then. And it brought about the need for Europeans to train Africans to do many, many jobs in the 19th century, particularly in West Africa. In fact, West Africa's climate is more tropical than East Africa, making it more conducive to malaria. And so with the presence of malaria, the European colonizers needed to provide a better education, a more westernized liberal arts education to the indigenous peoples in West Africa than was needed in East Africa. Because in East Africa, the Europeans could live and reside. Uh, and so therefore, I don't believe, at least so far in my research, a liberal arts education developed to the same extent in the 19th century in East Africa. Hence the uniqueness of Forbay College in Sierra Leone as the eth- Athens of West Africa. In fact, malaria was so bad and the trop, and the, the challenges of the tropical climate was so horrendous. It's been reported in some journals that up to 75% of missionaries died in the 19th century in the white man's grave, as they called it. It was assumed that Africans who had lived in the area for centuries might have developed a more natural resistance to malaria. And so the European administrators, particularly the British colonizers of West Africa, decided we need to educate the indigenous peoples to do many of the jobs that we need done. And so they developed a classical Christian education college in Sierra Leone. So not only did the geography and climate of Sierra Leone contribute to the development of this college, but also its indigenous history. For over 2,500 years, Sierra Leone had been home to developed cultures with rituals and traditions, with rulers who had a hierarchy, uh, people who worked with iron and crafts, So there were well-developed culturals in some of the indigenous peoples, and this is notable, something to remember, because unfortunately it went totally unrecognized by the Europeans and caused much tension during the years of Four Bay College's development. This fomented a constant controversy around the Western-dominated liberal arts curriculum of Four Bay College. And I think it's one of the things that hindered the progress of the liberal arts curriculum. Because on the one hand, people did want the classical education. This created a, an African intellectual elite, this education system, and gave them access internationally. So they did want this westernized education. And they recognized the value uh, of the histories and the stories and the ideas the ideas of the great conversation. They wanted this, but they also wanted courses, perhaps in African history and language. And the Europeans not only just ignored, but they disdained anything that was African. Not everybody, but but there was that feeling amongst the leadership, which then dampened the interest by other nationals for the development of the college. So Sierra Leone, because of the unique climate and location, the development of this college. It did very well. It was successful in producing an, an African intellectual elite, men uh, in particular, who crossed into many professions and helped with the development of West Africa. So the geography of Sierra Leone, in some ways, made it a perfect spot for the Europeans to concentrate their interaction with West Africa. And then the climate resulted in the necessity to train Africans for various colonial posts and mission work. Now, besides geography and climate, what else gave rise to this college? How did it get started? Well, it was the resettlement of former slaves that played the next part in the establishment of Four Bay College. In 1787, there was a bold initiative undertaken by British philanthropists, abolitionists, and African Americans who fought on the side the British in the American War of Independence to launch a settlement in Sierra Leone which had been and still was at that point the heart of slave trading country abolitionists believed that if they could prove that trading goods with Africa was more lucrative than trading in people then governments would be more likely to outlaw slavery so in 1787 the first repatriated slaves left for Sierra Leone. That was the year, in fact, that William Wilberforce lodged his bill in Parliament to prohibit slave trading in the British Empire. And 19 years later, in 1807, the Slave Trade Act was ratified by the British Parliament. So they formally outlawed slavery in 1807. So then, when that happened, this era of Sierra, Le- Sierra Leone became a British protectorate, and it began to flourish. The population grew from 2,000 to 40,000 people from 1808 to 1844. Far more liberated Africans were repatriated in Sierra Leone than anywhere else in the empire. And the colony was unique in the degree to which its governance was defined by institutions designed for the eventual emancipation and freedom and management by the Africans to manage themselves. It was a bold initiative. Of particular interest, too, is the diverse groups of Africans that landed in Sierra Leone. You had Yoruba, Igbo, Hausa, the Bassa, the Congolese, the Ashanti, to name a few. In addition to that, you had the Black Loyalists of Nova Scotia who settled there, and then the Black Poor of London who also settled. So this formed a unique cultural blend of people called the Creole. They were unique in that they knew the horrors of slave trade, but they were also familiar with European ways and also familiar with Western democracy. And so they became the African elite who were educated at Fora Bay College with such a variety of people, with a groups, the various groups educated in Christian liberal arts in the 19th century. This can give us today who are hoping to offer classical Christian education a a way to observe the successes and failures of the application of classical Christian education across another culture. So how did Fora Bay actually get started? Well, the British government wanted to spread Western civilization. The abolitionists wanted to create an economic alternative to the slave trade, And the Church Missionary Society, the Anglican arm of mission work, desired to spread the gospel. So you had the British government, Western civilization. The abolitionists wanted to create commerce. And the Church Missionary Society wanted to create converts. So all of this formed to what was called the Christian Institute, which was the forerunner of Bay College. It started, the Christian Institute began as a school for liberated boys and girls, in order to offer them training in basic courses like agriculture and the trades, and then provide opportunities for those with more aptitude to be trained as teachers. And so the school grew quickly and by 1816 had 350 students supported by the Church Missionary Society and the British government. The Christian Institute, which was soon to be called the Four Bay College, was groundbreaking in its attempt to provide formal western education to indigenous africans particularly children or young adults freed from slavery in fact a former vice chancellor of Four Bay college observed that the institution was the only one of its kind and in, in the opinion of some offered an education equal to that which was found in the uk in fact some remarked that these children in africa got a better education than british children in london at the time And some, however, doubted that, doubted the success of of Forbay. Um, but the success that it did attain at such an early date was remarkable. And it provides a sufficient answer to those who, who hesitated, uh, and said they just really wondered whether it was even advisable to attempt to educate an African. There was a tremendous amount of prejudice back then, as there is still some today, perhaps. People did not believe that Africans could be educated in the ways of Western civilization. But the students and the graduates of Four Bay College proved that assumption to be wrong. So by 1818, there was a desire to actually open a college, a tertiary education for the students from the Christian Institute. In 1820, they selected 26 students and started what they then called the seminary. It got off to a bad start, but it was reconstituted in 1827, and it became a full Blown College. The curriculum of Four Bay College initially consisted of singing and reading, arithmetic, grammar, spelling, and geography. There was a significant amount of Bible and a strong emphasis on Christian morality and hard work. However, uh, by the 1840s, a much stronger Christian liberal arts curriculum developed, which was because of the understanding of the need to educate Africans beyond vocational skills. Now, why did this happen? Well, there was a pivotal moment here that which was the Niger expedition of 1841, undertaken by the British, uh, along with Samuel Ajay Crowther, uh, who was to become the first African bishop of the Anglican Church. They went on an expedition to plant the gospel and develop trade um, in, and in parts of what today is called Western Nigeria. The problem was that 30% of the team died from malaria. It was very unsuccessful. They stopped after six months and came back. And so this ratcheted up the need to provide a much higher quality education for the indigenous Africans. The Europeans realized there's no way we can do the work without better educated Africans, because we can't survive. This then caused the improvement in the education and the curriculum in Forbe College. And it honed its curriculum closer and closer to a Christian liberal arts program. And this was from the 1840s on until the early 1900s. One of the reasons of the development of this classical Christian education in the Four Bay College was due to Edward Jones. Reverend Edward Jones served for about 20 years from 1840 to 1858 as the head of Four Bay College. Now, he was a a freed African-American who had graduated from Amherst in the United States. Amherst, Amherst was also a strong liberal arts college in the U.S. I think it was second only to Yale at the time. And the curriculum at Amherst was aligned closely with classical education. They read Roman and Greek literature. They studied the original languages. They had maths, philosophy, rhetoric, and theology at Amherst. So Reverend Jones brought a strong liberal arts background to Forbay College. In fact, you can read the archives from his reports to the Church Missionary Society from Forbay during the years he was teaching. And it gives you a very clear picture of what the students learned. Here's one report where he says, three of our students are in the first class at Forbay. They have studied church history. Plato's Apology of Socrates, and they've read half the book of the Aeneid. Now, you can be sure they also read this material in the original languages. He said they also read The Life of Thrasybulus. They've worked on Hebrew and Arabic and mathematics. His report goes on to talk about the second class of students, which consisted of four men. He says here they have read the Greek New Testament from the 12th chapter of St. John to the whole of St. Matthew's Gospel. The third class contained two students, and they read the first five chapters of Xenophon's Anabasis, and they also pursued English studies and uh, history. So the curriculum at Four College became increasingly academic and classical from the 1840s on. He said, every student has read the Greek New Testament right through and parsed every verb. So this was the classical Christian education at Four Bay College. It was equal to what you would find for a young man in in, in schools in Europe at the time or in England in particular. It was extremely successful, not only in producing clergy for the church, but men who could think and who could write, who could also debate and advocate on behalf of indigenous Africans across internationally. Uh, many of the graduates entered professions such as linguists and lawyers and doctors. Uh, it was noted that at the centenary celebration, after a hundred years of the founding of Four Bay College, they reported that 67 of the graduates had become principals, vice principals, senior tutors, or inspectors of schools So it truly impacted education across Sierra Leone, Nigeria, and the Gold Coast, which is present-day Ghana. In addition to impacting education, the graduates also uh, impacted the legal field. There were 37 lawyers, 18 medical doctors, 15 government officials, four bishops, five archdeacons, 77 colonial chaplains, 14 canons, 300 clergymen, ministers, or catechists among the FBC Bourbe College alumni. Not only did they enter the professions throughout West Africa, but they did incredible translation work as well. During this period, from the 1820s on till the end of the 19th century, according to British historian Paul Hare, the first generation of literate West Africans made significant contributions to the study of their own languages. In fact, from 1840 to 1890, over a 50-year time period, at least 60 books were produced in and on eight African languages. The college also produced some very notable people, which I will also highlight in future podcasts. One was Samuel Ajayi Crowder, who was the first uh, African bishop for the Anglican Church. You also have another notable graduate by the name of James Africanus Beale Horton. Who is known as the father of Pan Africanism and the father of pre independence political thought for Africa? He wrote an incredible book that provided structure for the future republics and constitutions for West Africa. He was educated classically and Christianly at Four Bay College. He was a medical doctor and he did some um, some fine research on tropical medicine as well. So Forbay College. The Athens of West Africa was in Freetown, Sierra Leone, which has now become the University of Sierra Leone, established a Christian liberal arts, or let's call it a classical Christian education, teaching students in the original language, Greek and Latin, causing the students to read the ancient texts from Plato to Aristotle to Cicero to Euclid's geometry. Graduates from this college could write in Latin and Greek and could argue with Europeans about prejudice uh, and sciences, uh, and pseudoscience that was condescending to Africans. They were able to take the case to the Europeans and the Americans using Latin and Greek and in beautiful English. The students of this college became educators, lawyers, doctors, linguists, hundreds of, hundreds of them permeated West Africa, advocating for the independence of African countries from their colonial, colonial administrators making great contributions as well to Christian missions and to the church. So if the college was so successful, why didn't it spread throughout West Africa? There are several reasons, and I'm just going to highlight them here and perhaps develop this more in a future podcast. Number one, the discovery of quinine in the late 1800s provided a a way for Europeans now to settle in West Africa because they would be able to survive malaria. So they didn't need to educate the indigenous peoples so well. Secondly, the scramble for Africa brought Europeans to settle and live and oversee the countries, which then limited the opportunities and the jobs. At one point, it was said in Sierra Leone that Africans in the 1880s occupied 90% of the, the jobs for the colonial protectorate and by the end of the 1800s they only occupied 10%. The Europeans came in and took over all of the jobs. Number 3, why else didn't it spread? Well, the failure of the classical Christian approach brought by the British at that time to acknowledge anything good out of Africa. This left a bad taste in people's mind towards the classical education. And and so they then opted for a more cultural education. Number 4, the prejudice against Africans, which grew during this time and caused many to reject Western civilization because classical Christian education became associated with colonialism and racism. Number five, the rise of progressive education in America. This was a part which, which was then established in the 20th century as an educational model. Number six, the debate raging in America regarding the education of freed slaves. The debate was, should the education for freed slaves be vocational or liberal? And the vocational education won out. And so that educational template was then applied to Africa in the 20th century. Even though the liberal arts were successful, and even though Africans wanted it, these were some of the reasons why it it was diminished. It continued on in some form or fashion, but the progressive education model was really permeated the university systems that came about in the 20th century. Perhaps if these issues had been attended to in the 1800s and in the 1900s, the Christian liberal arts education might have spread further throughout the continent, in both primary schools and high schools and then in colleges. It was successful. God used it to raise up influential Africans, the African elite, And so we in the Rafiki Foundation are eager to provide a robust Christian liberal arts education that emphasizes Western civilization, but also incorporates what is true, good and beautiful from African cultures, history, art, music and literature and oral history that exists. We hope to provide them the the kind of tools that Africans can use to unearth what is true, good and beautiful in their own cultures but also create an appetite for whatever is true, good, and beautiful to our students, our 10 classical and Christian schools, and also help to establish this across a thousand schools in Africa. Our vision is that there will be many more men and women who are like Samuel Ajay Crowther, James Africanus Beale Horton, and others who can think and lead and serve from a godly perspective and usher their own countries into the 21st century to raise up future men and women of wisdom and virtue, godly wisdom and virtue. So stay tuned for more biographical sketches of graduates from Four Bay College. I think you'll find their lives fascinating. People you've never heard of, but people you should know about because of their contributions to West Africa and beyond. So thanks for listening. This is the end of this episode, and if you want to know more information about the Rafiki Foundation, go to our website, RafikiFoundation.org, where you can help support African children to attend our Rafiki Classical Christian Schools on Scholarship to receive the best education in the world for some of the least of these in the world. We pray that you will become a part of this mission with us. Thanks for listening. I'm Karen Elliott, and I'm the host of this podcast.